Hi, I'm Corey Nathan, and this is Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Your home for engaging conversations about the topics that matter most in our culture. If you love nuance, if you want to better understand different points of view, if you're tired of the screamers taking all the oxygen out of the room, if you'll enjoy edifying, provocative, and fun conversations among high-profile public figures and regular folks like me, you love talking politics and religion without killing each other. Thanks for spending some time with us. Enjoy today's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. As always, if you like the show, tell a friend. Listeners recommending our program to their friends and family who might like it is the number one way word gets out about what we're doing here. And I really appreciate folks who've been doing that. We've uh, we've seen some really nice numbers here lately, and it's all seriously, it's due to folks who've been listening and telling other folks about it. And it's really cool. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful for the folks who are listening and sending in comments and stuff. So I really appreciate you. I am Corey Nathan. I'm your host and I'm running solo today and we're doing something a little different. On TPNR, we aim to have a diversity of views and a diversity of people represented from different philosophical perspectives, different ages and religions. So along those lines, today's guest is a new friend I've made, Jack Taggart. Jack is part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormon Church. And he also happens to be half my age, which <laughs> kind of pisses me off, but I won't hold against him. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm just a little jealous, I guess. So, so we'll explore some of what distinguishes uh, the LDS Church from other religions and faith traditions, as well as to hear some pr- perspectives from a guy. You know, I was looking up when millennials end and and Gen Zers began, and you're like right on the borderline. So mm-hmm. yeah. we'll explore some of that uniqueness there. And But we're not merely defined by our differences. Jack has a really cool podcast called The Moderate Review, where he has civil conversations with folks who disagree or have different perspectives on any number of topics. I think that's a crazy idea. I think it's never, I, I just told it. Um, it's a brilliant idea. And I'm just, I'm enamored with it. Uh, Jack and I actually had a conversation on his program the other day and it'll be released um, early in 2022. But most of all, Jack, I'm just cool. It's it's just cool to hang out with you again. I really appreciate you doing this. How you doing? Oh, doing great. Doing great. Good, good, good. Well, why don't we just dive right into it? I, I was curious, and you, you were kind enough to share with me some reading material. We're on uh, on the Mormon Church. Were you raised in the Mormon Church? Oh yeah, I I was. I guess you can say I'm probably the most LES you could probably get. You know, born in Salt Lake City, Utah, and actually uh, born in Primary Children's Hospital, which has uh, LDS origins, and you know served a mission, and then um, went to a LDS college. So. Yeah, probably the most LES you could possibly get. Right on, right on. Well, you know, as a as a young man, as a young adult, ha- have you come to conclusions that affirm your faith, or have you questioning your your faith tradition, or where where are you at with all that? So, actually, uh, to be honest, I'm kind of well. Where do I begin? So, I uh, feel like I have uh, had many quite experiences that um, have affirmed my faith, um, as well as you know experiences that kind of made me question. You know, I guess I'll kind of be willing to share this, you know, actually about a year, year and a half ago, you know, I uh, just went through a very, very traumatic experience, which kind of made me kind of question 
kind of really everything really more of like, is there a God? If, if there is a God, why did this happen to me? And um, again, that was a very dark time in my life. But, you know, talking, I talked to my uh, my bishop, my religious leader. I don't know, just talking to him about it, kind of where I was at spiritually at that time. Um, and then circling a little bit about what kind of style that experience helped me to, um, I guess, confirm my faith is more of like, I kind of focused on what I knew at the time, focused on what I felt, you know, what I've previously felt in the past, you know, and I knew that God loved me, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ to atone and to die for us. Just, there was just that, you know, something that, um, I guess helped me kind of stay strong, stay firm in my faith. And then, yeah, but then also some other things in the past, I mean, beginning of this year was, uh, I guess it was a little difficult, you know, but then kind of how I guess something that I kind of learned is more distinguishing more of, I guess, my doubts and concerns from more of, I guess, more of like the people within a church, you know, I, I don't know if you kind of get that more of like, you know, sometimes, you know, people do or say things, you know, that may be offensive and you may I think unintentionally question, well, is the whole, is this whole organization wrong? Which, you know, it's not just people are people and, you know, and I don't, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does, but it, it certainly brings up more questions. So you mentioned having gone through a dark period uh, last year, within the last couple of years. Without going into the details of the circumstances, I'm curious what your inner life was like, how, what, you know, what you're, you were struggling with mentally, emotionally, and how, how you came out the other side. I guess really the best way to describe it is I felt like there was a lot of things out of my control that um, really things were being said about me, which were not true. Things were where people were twisting events and basically kind of portraying me in the not best light, which didn't happen at all, how they were portraying it. And then basically after having going through enough and all the parties basically saying, okay, if we've had enough of it, let's talk this out. And then I ended up talking it out and um, <laughs> didn't necessarily help out, but uh, well, well, it did help out, but then kind of opened more problems. And I've definitely said, I've definitely come, I've dealt with most of them, but some of that stuff is kind of still lingering on, even though it's been like, uh, oh, almost a year, actually almost two years now. So, okay. So were there folks that you looked up to and sought out for counsel or you folks that you considered mentors that disappointed you or, and, or was there the opposite people that you didn't realize would be supportive in such a situation that emerged in a pleasant, pleasantly surprising way. It's really like as two people that really come, oh, quite a few people. So first of all, my brother and, uh, and his wife, my sister-in-law, they were um, very helpful as I was kind of walking or telling them how things were happening, how things were playing out. They were definitely like, holy crap, we're, we're so sorry you have to deal with this. And they were very grateful with that. My religious leader at the time as well, he definitely, I guess, played an important role you know, I would feel like I was able to, I guess, share at the time, you know, what I always feel comfortable sharing with him and literally thinking about moving up at that time to just to get away from it all and very supportive and the idea of, Hey, you know, if you need to move, you know, I totally get it. You know, I know. And then also my really good friend, she actually, um, it's kind of really weird. I didn't really quite really realize until like months after the fact that uh, how much involved she was or not involved, uh, how she kind of heard both sides going on and how, she actually uh, was really willing to back up my case. And I guess um, I'm not trying to make her sound bad, but more of, I guess, sabotage them a bit, so to speak. But 
I chose not to go that route, but, and you know, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't get worse. So we didn't go, go to sabotage at all. So. Yeah. That's cool. How folks in your life, uh, when you're going through the thick of things, you know, some trying times that there are some folks who emerge that are, you know, real part of your support system and you didn't even know it. Uh, so there's Mm -hmm. definitely reasons to be grateful. I'd love to dive into you. You, like I said, in the intro, you were kind enough to share some reading material with me and uh, great intros. And I, it opens up, a, I'm curious to dive in some more, do a little bit of a deeper dive, but since um, we have the benefit of having you here, mm-hmm. what are some of, can you describe some of the distinctions of the church of Latter-day Saints from just, for example, I go to a Presbyterian church. Mm-hmm. I, I went to a Baptist church for better part of a decade. I grew up in a synagogue, an Orthodox Jewish synagogue. So what are some of the distinctions of the Mormon church? Uh, the distinctions, I guess, first off, off the bat, which I'm pretty sure you kind of want to get more to this, but we believe in uh, modern day revelation, more of the idea that I can receive uh, revelation, or I guess personal revelation to help me make my decisions in my life. And likewise, we believe that our church leaders, they are also inspired, you know, it goes from like our local, our local leaders all the way up to the top, the president of our church who makes decisions and based on what he feels inspired, you know, by the Holy ghost on how to I guess, run the church or even more of, I guess, even the direction of where the church is going. And so, but I'm, I'm pretty sure you're kind of wanting to lead into that question more of like, as more of the book of Mormon and some of the other, I guess, you know, these scriptures that we have. Right. Well, I did take note of a couple things that I saw and we could talk about anyone or all of them. One thing that was a little bit more subtle uh, that I was curious about your heavenly father. Uh, one of the, this is on the main website, mm-hmm. the core beliefs, your heavenly father knew that to learn and grow and become like him, you need to come to earth, receive a physical body. And then it goes on to, you know, but to come to earth, receive a f- physical body. The, the wording of that was you could draw some similarities from let's say Hebrew Bible, New Testament, you could draw some similarities, but the specific wording was uh, interesting to me. So I, I was curious if, the, if, if I dove deeper into that, would I find something um, unique uh, mm. within the Mormon faith? Okay. So I guess, you know, this the idea, you know, it, obviously what it implies is that we used to live with God in the pre world before we came to earth, we used to live with God. I believe it's Job that talks about before I knew thee, I formed thee in the body, or I before I knew thee, I formed thee in thy mother's womb. You know, right. Hint, you know, alluding to that, which that kind of I guess kind of leads to a little bit why we know what we learn more about um, where we where we were, why we are here, and where we're going after this life. Really, is not much so much talk so much about in the Bible, or more extensively, which a lot of what um, we believe, or the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints believes, and we know about that. It comes from the Book of Mormon, which. Um, we believe to be another testament of Jesus Christ. You know, it takes place, um, starts actually about uh, 600 years before Christ. You know, I think about the time of, uh, I think it's Zedekiah, I think right before Babylon, uh, Babylon conquers Jerusalem, or was it Assyria? Anyways, basically it leaves off with a family that kind of leaves Jerusalem. And then, you know, it does sound kind of weird, but eventually they make their way over to the Americas and, um, you know, kind of have this, there's a civilization that lives there and, Throughout this time, you are we. There are prophets that kind of talk about teach the people, and we're to a repent, and then 
kind of start sharing what they felt inspired to share what, yeah. what the Philly goes. You know, does that make sense? Or is that, uh, yeah, no, or, uh, yeah. you're picking up on yeah. something else. I yeah. saw it, it, it in the, the same description of core beliefs. The book of Mormon is described as a collection of writings from ancient Christians mm-hmm. who traveled from Jerusalem to the Americas during biblical times. And, mm-hmm. you know, the impulse might be to be dismissive of that, or maybe even to mock that notion. Mm-hmm. But you know what? There's things I believe that are easily mockable. Like, <laughs> I believe yeah. in this guy, Jesus, who was the Christ, who is the Messiah, who died and rose again. Like, there's some crazy stuff I believe, too, you know? I also believe the Mets are going to win the World Series in the next couple of years. <laughs> and I'm not sure which is more miraculous. But yeah. so, yeah, I, I, I when I read that, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. You know, there are some there's some stuff that it should be as it as it said in, in the New Testament, it should be foolishness to the Greeks. You know, it's it should sound wacky and, and out of sync. You know, it is indeed mm-hmm. miraculous. That's kind of the definition of miraculous. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wasn't. I'm not ready to completely dismiss that so much as to that it it, it piques my curiosity and I, I'm I want to learn more how that that story is told and how it's derived. It comes from somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I saw. Yeah. So in an article, there's there's another article that you sent me. It's in the newsroom section of uh, the Latter Day Saints website. It's called "What Church Members Believe." It says. Latter-day Saints believe that God has a plan for his children to return to live with him. Mm-hmm. So kind of tying into that first question, is, is that part of that, like return to live? What's the what's meant by return to live with him? So I guess we literally return to live with or return. We are judged by God. And I believe it's actually kind of talked about, uh, I think, uh, I think second, first Corinthians 15, where Paul talks about, and I saw bodies celestial and bodies telestial. Uh, we believe that after judgment, we'll be placed into uh, three different kingdoms, the celestial, uh, terrestrial, and telestial, where basically depending on how our faithfulness, you know, everyone who's ever come to earth, whoever's received a body, will, you know, be placed in these kingdoms. So, and uh, celestial is the highest, and that's what, uh, where everyone wants, or we all want to be at. And so, so yeah, uh, does that make sense? So, yeah, it does. It yeah. does. It's interesting because the... There's a little book of James, which happened to be the first book of the New Testament that I'd read, and he deals with the faith versus works. Hmm. A lot of times for folks that I go to church with, that book is problematic hmm. because James has puts an emphasis, you know, he says flat out, your, your faith without a faith without works is dead. You know, in the Jewish tradition, I'm going to completely mess this up. And if my dad hears it, I'm sure he'll want to correct me. So. <laughs> We'll allow for that possibility yeah. in comment sections, but basically there's a Talmudic belief that, you know, there's like in the, in the kingdom to come, the, the more meets vote or the more, the more you obey the, the uh, 613 laws of the Torah, you get to have a closer seat in the, you know, in the kingdom of heaven, right. Mm-hmm. Closer to God. So I, like I said, I'm completely messing that up, but so it sounds similar. It, it sounds closer to beliefs such as those than what a lot of my contemporary Chris, American Christian friends believe or evangelical friends believe where the whole works thing, you, you can't earn your way into heaven. You can't earn a better seat in heaven. Like, no, yeah. Jesus did all that work for us. So there's a distinction, uh, a subtle distinction there in our, in, in some of those beliefs and the results of uh, the consequences yeah. of, you know, 
what we do here on earth. And I guess I probably should clarify, I guess we, we are saved. we believe, you know, and I will say this, you know, I'm, I'm only speaking, I only speak for myself. I don't, I'm not speaking for on behalf of my entire church, but we are saved by faith. We are saved by faith. You know, that's what Christ did when he died for us. And I guess how I see it kind of gospel, according to Jack Taggart, the placement into our kingdoms is not really on what we've done, but more of who we've become. Have we become more of this, I guess, God-fearing Christian, you know, who's served his fellow man, who was good to his fellow persons, not just in public, but as well as in private, you know, versus, I guess, those person, I guess, figuratively, who's just shown up, kind of done the minimum, so to speak, you know, you know, they didn't do anything really bad, you know, and they really, you know, they're a, not the best person, you know, but the great, I guess, that they show up to this earth and got a body, you know, so does that make sense? Or am I clarifying that or? Yeah, absolutely. Where, where I guess it resonates is, and I'm going to sort of reckon this with what my own beliefs are. I, I do believe that creation is, is messed up. You know, some might call that sin, but I also believe that there's a grand redemption project happening. So with the sin and the redemption, I'm both part of the problem and part of the solution. So, you know, you want to think of the, the fall, I'm, I'm part of the fall, I'm imperfect, you know, and as you described it, what resonates is it, are my daily practices helping to redeem me, you know, helping to make me a better husband, a better dad, a better friend, you know, better member of, of my community, you know, the, the, my prayer time and reading my Bible, even taking my walks in the morning out in God's creation and, and encountering God's creation. Like, mm. is that all, is that all a part of redeeming me personally? But it's not just about me personally. It's about my place in the bigger redemption plan because God, you know, from, from, you know, from Genesis one through revelation 22, it's a story about God redeeming his creation. Right. Mm -hmm. And it sounds, I, I haven't read the book of Mormon yet, which I, I really should do. I should, you know, take a look at it, you know, just, um, to see, to see what it says, it's better to be informed than to be completely willfully ignorant. So, yeah. So it seems to me that the little that I do know about the book of Mormon is that it's a continuation of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And even without the book of Mormon, I still think a, a great theologian, a great once he was working on this book called the drama of doctrine, his name is Kevin Van Hooser. And he said, the story of the Bible is still being written and we're in it. Right. So God's redemption plan is still happening, you know, and even folks who are, who are secular, uh, some of my best friends, humanists, you know, uh, I don't know if they would call themselves atheists, but certainly agnostics would still think that good work is happening in this world to make the world a better place. So, or, or the Jewish version of that tikkun olam healing the world. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different versions of this. So again, going back to the distinctions of LDS or the, the Mormon church, there's, and correct me if I have this inaccurate, but this, this is what I was kind of deriving from one of the pieces that you sent me. There's a belief that important aspects of the original church were somehow lost after the death of Jesus. And there was, uh, but that, that later there was a restoration of sorts with the church of Latter-day Saints, uh, starting with the founding prophet, Joseph, Joseph Smith. Is that, did I mess that up? Oh, or did yeah, I guess no. it, Okay. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. So it was actually kind of predicted in, I think it was Paul or it was talked about in the New Testament that there would be a falling away. You know, it basically was inevitable, you know, which, uh, well, granted, I, I this is, again, the opinions of Jack Taggart, not necessarily you know, <laughs> on behalf of the church, but, you know, 
it had to happen. And, you know, I guess one of the benefits of that, you know, was, you know, because if you read some of the Pauline apostles, there's always that struggle between like living the law of Moses as well as, you know, becoming Christians, you know, so to speak. There's always that, you know, that tension, but, you know, as part of that, you know, it kind of took out those elements, although always it was going to happen. And then plus also, you know, and eventually when the time was right, you know, when, yeah, when the circumstances were right, you know, actually Joseph Smith actually was reading out of the Bible, you know, James 1, 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which you guys tell him liberally, and breath not. And he was struggling with questions, you know, what church should I join? What points of doctrine should I, or are important? And, you know, he studied these different churches, you know, and basically kind of, he was told that you know, he should join none. And when he was ready, when the time was right, you know, he, you know, he was led to Book of Mormon, you know, the ancient set of scripture, which he translated and uh, he ended up publishing and uh, yeah. So. Yeah. The, the origin story is, is certainly, certainly fascinating. Do you, ha, have you come across theological differences, wh- whether it's with the formation of, of the, the Mormon church or uh, theological differences, ha- how scripture is interpreted with folks that you're close with family, friends, uh, that, that you're, you know, of the same church. Um, I asked, and what do you mean by that? So, okay. I'll give you an example. I live in a Valley where there's a very prominent theologian teacher, pastor named John MacArthur. John MacArthur is someone who has a very, one would call it a literalist or I would call it very categorical in way too many instances. For example, he believes that, you know, Genesis one and two should be interpreted as six literal 24 hour days of creation. Uh, And if you don't believe that you're, you know, I I think he would, if you really pushed him on it, he would say, if you don't believe that you're not really a Christian. So I I don't buy that. Right. So that that's a theological difference or interpretive difference. And we could talk about why, or like what my interpretation is not that I don't believe God is great enough to create the heavens and the earth in six little 24 hour days. I just don't think that's the point of Genesis one and two. So, yeah. So something along those lines, have you discovered differences in interpretation or theology with, with yeah. people that you're close with? I guess uh, <laughs> this is kind of very interesting. This is probably one of my rants as well, but um, I've kind of found and actually kind of discovered more in the past few years that I think people tend to, I guess, take certain scriptures out of context to, I guess, fit their certain circumstances, if that makes any sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's called proof test texting. Yeah. You like to, you have, you start with your own preferences and then you find like half a verse somewhere that kind of agrees with it. And you just kind of rip it out of context or, or more or more just like with really out of context, basically saying, I guess, uh, you know, point this one scripture, not understanding what was said before, what question was asked, you know, and the at little, I guess the at what was said before, you know, I've had issues with that where I'm like, nah, that's not quite, you know, or they, as people would kind of just totally just, um, take out or just tell me the other half of the, of the interpretation. Like, I guess there was like two parts or two answers to an answer, I guess, what that was said, I said in the scriptures that uh, people just forget the other half. So yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> kind of my rants on that, but yeah, no, it's easy to do that. That's one of my favorite things to say is let's keep reading. <laughs> you know, like, Oh, yeah. is that the conclusion that you drew from that verse or that part of that verse? All right, let's keep reading. Let's read the whole chapter. <laughs> you know, let's keep reading. Uh, cause oftentimes it says just the opposite of what you want it to say. So, mm, yep. uh, what about political differences? Are you, do you have a different political disposition or preferences than folks that you're close with? Yeah, actually, um, I will say this, at least in my immediate family, I am probably the most liberalist 
and that um, at least I feel like, which we can probably talk, do that plug later, but um, I'm willing to listen to people, willing to have different discussions. And I'll just give you this example. Uh, well, two main examples, actually. I think right when uh, Brianna Taylor, that whole incident happened, I think that was well, almost actually over a year ago, um, you know, just talking to some certain friends on what could have happened, you know, and my perspective was, you know, it was a bad situation. You know, other people are just saying, it's all the police's fault or it was the the boyfriend's fault, you know, where I'm saying, well, I think it was it, just bad circumstances, you know, if, you know, if that's answering your question, but another thing, which kind of actually kind of, my brother actually kind of found very surprising is that I feel like that politically, I think, and I think as probably as a moral issue, we should provide universal free healthcare to low-income children. So I feel like, you know, because the children are, are not in, or they're in circumstances now they're making, you know, and frankly, again, my opinion as well, is that um, if we're able to help these children, you know, that's like a huge burden lifted from their parents, you know, that they can actually worry about, okay, maybe I can actually buy the food, actually support myself, feed myself, make sure I am healthy so that I can better, better my children's lives rather than kind of living pay to paycheck and, you know, being stressed out. So, yeah. Yeah. So. No, that's interesting. Yeah. I, a lot of folks are more free market capitalists or libertarians, you know, or just say the government, you know, they'll, they'll say something dismissive. Look what the government yeah. did with postal service, you know, or just, or the DMV. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, eh, DMV's kind of like the postal service is kind of cool. Well, before, yeah. you know, I, I guess that's not <laughs> yeah. a great example, but before I was like, I could put a 30 or 50 cent stamp on this thing and it'll get across the country in like a couple, <laughs> three days. Like that's actually pretty cool. But uh, no, no, to your point, there are certain things that the government is in a better position to provide than other entities. And we can't necessarily um, rely on clearly in certain communities around the country that something as fundamental as, as decent healthcare will be provided to the helpless, you know, the kids for, to underscore the point that you're making. And I guess I will clarify as well. I'm not like a, you know, I, I, well, I, I tend to be lean more conservative than, and liberal. So I will clarify that, you know, if any uh, whoever's listening as well. So, <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, yeah. You weren't, uh, we, we didn't get shut off by, uh, you know, oh, this guy's a crazy <laughs> radical, you know, yeah. leftist. Although there are some who would say that, that if you're not like sufficiently a Trump loyalist, then you are clearly a Marxist, socialist, communist, you mm, know, yeah. baby eating, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, you do have a unique perspective to a lot of the folks that we talk on here, because like I said, you are right on that borderline between millennial and Gen Z. From your point of view as a, you know, as a 25 year old, what do you think are, you, you just described one, but what do you think are some of the most pressing problems in our culture? Oh, that's actually quite a good one. And um, this kind of kind of leans more into kind of what I do, but like, I feel like no one um, can really separate, I guess, their politics from their identity, if that makes sense. More of like, uh, well, and also as generalizations, you know, when I was on a dating app, you know, they say swipe down if you're if you're a Trump lover or swipe up if you, uh, if you voted for Biden, which I'm like, you, can, you don't even know me, you know? And, you know, just because I voted for somebody, does that make me a bad person or, you know, which kind of bothers me, which I, you know, hate generalizations, you know, cause it's more like, well, there's people like me where like, well, where actually I literally said, you know, if it came down to Trump or Biden, you know, I'd probably really would have to think about it. You know, it totally makes sense. And there is that tendency often where you, you think, you know, one thing about an individual 
and then make all kinds of assumptions about the rest of them, the, you know, their, their entire character and all of their beliefs, you know, what you think about not even critical race theory in general, because it's a complex issue for just mm -hmm. as an example, you know, whether if you think that the laws being written to make teaching critical race theory illegal, I've heard folks who are actually very, very conservative as cons like the actual yeah. conservative yeah. say that these are bad laws. These are illiberal laws. These are, these reflect a basic misunderstanding of what critical race theory are. And these same folks, Dave, I'm thinking of David French in particular, would still say, I have serious problems with the theory. You know, I've read, he's read academic papers on it and, and he'd want to be able to debate the, the theory as, as, as he understands it, or, or at least better understand it. You know, he has, what he does understand, he has uh, serious critiques of, but he still thinks the laws being written to, to ban it are bad laws and un-American and unconstitutional. So you can have all those things. But if you only read the part where he says, you know, that law that they just passed in Nash in, in Tennessee, really bad law. Then they someone might immediately think, oh, well, he's, uh, you know, Biden loving, you know, America hating, wants to take over and, you know, kidnap my children and all the other stuff that whatever. So, yeah, that's interesting. And what what are, what are some of the other Ooh. Um, what I also kind of talked about, you know, which is, again, we talked about the generalizations, you know, Kermorfi, you even mentioned that you're, I guess, any whiff of support for somebody, you know, you know, you are automatically looped into that. And another thing is, is that no one is really willing to have, you know, a civil conversation with someone they disagreed with, you know, and still be friends with, you know, which, you know, I've actually been fortunate enough, just some circumstances has allowed me, particularly in college, where I've been able to develop that more of like, okay, why do you believe what you believe and can you elaborate a little bit more on that and help me understand why, what leads you to, what has led you to this conclusion, you know, which um, uh, I think it's basically, it's almost a lost art at this point in the, in our society. So. Well, we're, we're retrieving it. That's what we're doing right yeah. here. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if you could say there's disagreements like our, our conversation about the church, but you know, it's obviously I belong to a different faith tradition now and come from an even different one. So you, you could, those are differences. I don't know if you would call them differences of opinion, differences of faith, what, yeah. what, but they're differences. And I, I find it fascinating. Like I'm learning something. I'm learning yeah. something and, and you're helping me. I like that phrase that you used, help me understand. You're helping me understand mm -hmm. a little bit better. You know, and even if we don't arrive at the same conclusions, I think it's kind of cool that we understand each other better. Yeah, right? we can still be friends. Yeah. So. Yeah. And we can yeah. still hang out. We can still hang with yeah. each other. Any other pressing problems at the top of your list? I think this is another thing is I think people, um, we've, we jump to conclusions too quickly. The first thing that kind of comes to mind is more of the, the Nick, Nick Sandman or is it? Yeah. Like basically this uh, Catholic school boy who was had a pro-life March in Washington, DC and the media made it sound like he and his school, his school buddies were like harassing this old man where it turns out that it was the other way around where the old man was harassing him and all these other people were, and, um, there was quite a lot of blowback, but, well, I guess what I mean is like, I feel like as a society, we, I guess maybe we are, uh, I guess maybe you can say conditioned, I guess, to, yeah, just kind of jump to conclusions, make this actual, I guess, sudden judgment on a person, which, you know, obviously there's a lot more, more to it than actually what happened, which, you know, frankly, I feel like really isn't that Christian or really biblical at all, you know, because Christ, um, 
we, we should never be defined by the worst thing we ever done. You know, surely if you actually do something that's really, really bad, then by all means, yeah, let the consequences follow. But I really believe nobody should be defined by the worst thing they've ever done. And I feel like particularly instances like this, you know, what I've kind of described where people really don't care for that. They're really out for blood and, you know, and I'm pretty sure, you know, you've done something pretty bad that you wish you didn't do. And, you know, obviously that's, that's not you, you know, so much as the same thing happened with me. So. Yeah. I, I can only imagine. I mean, I can only imagine if, if my name and my life would be defined by the worst things I've done or the worst I've ever behaved, you know, just, yeah. Yeah. It's been ugly. My friend, my close, close friends could attest. <laughs> it's been ugly at times. So, and they still love me. I don't know what that says about, uh, they're either saintly for still loving me or freaking nuts. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, well, tell me what ways are you getting involved in addressing some of you? you've named some, you know, great problems and not great by like, oh, ain't that great, but like huge, mm. huge problems that define our culture. What are some of the ways that you're getting involved in addressing some of those problems? First and foremost, I feel like understanding what the issue is. You know, I will say you're going back to critical race theory. I'll be up and honest. I really don't know too much about it. You know, I, well, yeah, I don't know too much about it, but more of us engaging in conversations with people, you know, who, who disagree with me and, you know, again, kind of under going back to more of like trying to help, like say, help me understand why you believe this or what led you to this, you know? Another thing, which and I'll just probably be just doing this, you know, plug for my podcast, but, you know, my podcast, for example, which, you know, past four years or so, you know, I've noticed we've all seen like a decline in civility. And then, you know, and I kind of thought actually, actually it was like last February, February or so where I'm like, you know what, I need to kind of say something about this, you know, and so, and I don't want it to be like any regular political, you know, commentary, you know, podcast. And so I thought, well, you know, this is very interesting, unique, you know, having a podcast where people with uh, misunderstood, unpopular, or even unknown opinions can can share it. And that's kind of how the moderate review is, was created. So. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Can you tell us, so tell us more about the moderate review. That's the name of the podcast mm -hmm. and why you decided to do it and what you hope to achieve with the moderate review. Oh, so the moderate review. So like I said, you know, anyone who has an unpopular, unknown or misunderstood opinion can share, which I'll invite anybody on. You know, I've um, actually had people on who uh, kind of talked about their case, making a case for euthanasia, which I totally disagree with. You know, my one of my most uh, popular podcasts I had episodes I did was a guy actually was advocating for slave reparations, which, you know, there there was a legitimate case for that, you know. But the thing is, I don't really just invite just anybody on there because really anybody can do that. You know, everybody has that political or can do that, you know, but what I typically do, I actually try to involve somebody who actually has, so to speak, has some skin in the game. So like they actually kind of know a thing or two, you know, you know, when I was interviewing you, you know, you talked about growing up as this, uh, or making this transition from Judaism to Christianity. And then even from within saying, you know, Hey, this isn't quite right. You know, we were able to talk about that. And frankly, I don't think anybody, or if I were to talk to somebody who who's never done that, you know, I, I think it would definitely be, uh, make me look bad, but also totally misconstrue or actually mis misrepresent the actual issue and what is actually being talked about. What are a couple of the most surprising things you've learned in the process of doing the moderate review? Ooh, <laughs> 
what I've learned, you know, is more of people believe what they believe. And most of the times they kind of see it out of uh, some sort well, obviously out of some sort of need, but like the most uh, recent thing I can think of off the top of my head, is more of going back to the euthanasia, they call it dignified death, which the case they're making is more of like, if you're in chronic pain and you're not getting better, and basically you're faced with a choice of either, I guess, living uh, kind of lucid, but more of like almost incoherent or living in a life of pain, what kind of life is that? Do you think maybe you should, and you know, you, maybe you will not have a quality of life by allowing to live like this. So that I guess more of like there's, what I've kind of discovered is that you know people believe um, or believe in something for a purpose. That it's not something I guess that is pulled out of their butt. You know that there's more often like life experience that have led them to this, led them to get to that conclusion. If I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, sure, sure. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, and you've chosen to have some some interesting people on there and tackle some interesting subjects. The whole idea of of the moderate review is to find points of difference and to see if we can tackle them together in a civil way mm-hmm. and come to a better understanding of the subject, even if we don't end up agreeing on it at the end. So it's a really noble endeavor. I really appreciate your candor and your willingness to grapple with some tough stuff, as well as I'm appreciative of having learned a couple things about the Mormon church, the history of church, uh, Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, and looking forward to learning some more. Do you have any questions for me? Oh, I do. So, Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I guess, cause I'm a fellow, po- you know, as a fellow podcaster, I'm, I'm just curious, um, what inspired you to do this podcast? Yeah. So it actually ties into what I think are some of those pressing issues in our culture. And it's something that I identified not too long after becoming a Christian. And that is, I think a lot of folks is, have belief systems that are st- structured around their identification of a supposed enemy, right? Hmm. So a lot of what I would consider primary theological pillars almost become secondary because if you have identified the this notion that there's a culture war and you've begun to understand who the adversary is in that culture war. And you've begun to project what that adversary is thinking, what they're trying to do. Your entire mission in life, your entire worldview is that you're, you have a compass and it's pointing towards this thing and everything what's, what's magnetizing it. And, and, you know, defining where it's pointing, it's all around this notion of, of identifying an enemy or, or thinking that you've identified an enemy. And I just think that's wrong. I think that's an illusion. I think it's a really dangerous illusion that's now come to define a great deal of our culture. And, and even those who aren't participants, a lot of folks just have tapped out. Like, I just don't want to be involved. You know, I don't, don't talk about politics around me. Don't talk about religion around me. Why? Because a bunch of screamers who are in this, you know, uncivil war, if we want to call it that have taken all the oxygen out of the room. So 
it's been an issue. I, I remember listening to Sarah Palin for the first time. I heard about her. And in theory, what I'd heard about her, the introduction was this, uh, you know, young up and coming maverick of a Republican who's bucked her own party. And, you know, with um, McCain, who I happen to like as a politician, being mostly on the legislative side, I thought it was cool to be balanced out by somebody a little bit younger, somebody who came up through the an executive branch in our state. And then she opened her mouth, <laughs> you know, like this person ain't ready for prime time, you know, and not yeah. in a Saturday Night Live way, although the uh, the stuff that they did on Saturday Night Live was pretty good. But it was all about like her owning the libs, you know, as we understand it nowadays. Yeah. You know, everything she said was was geared towards saying something mean about, you know, Obama and, and Biden, saying something mean about the Democrats, the Democrat Party, as she would say, or or Democrats in general, people who are left. Like, it's just like that's that's all you got to say is something mean about people you perceive as the other side. So long way of saying I wanted to. I, I can't solve the whole problem. I can't fix the mm. whole world, but I could be a part of it, you know. I can do one little thing and have one conversation at a time that is more edifying, more enjoyable, more bridge building. Um, that's that, that was my motivation for starting this thing and do it in public, do it so that if we get a hundred people listening, a thousand people or you know, a hundred thousand people listening, it's all good. Like just one, one conversation where, where we are, dropping a little bit of, you know, a little bit of flavor into the grander cultural conversation and hopefully making it just a little bit better for good faith and goodwill and good people. That's what I'm trying okay. to do. And I guess the other question I do have is, is how has this podcast um, shaped your view of other people? Well, one thing that's been really encouraging is that folks that I thought would be inaccessible have made themselves accessible to, to, you know, I don't say this for false, humble stuff. Like I'm a nobody in Bill Crystal's world. I'm a nobody in Julie Mason's world, this great uh, talk show host. She's a longtime great journalist, loves journalism, loves great journalists, uh, celebrates journalism and, and, and great journalists. She doesn't know me from Adam. I just happen to listen to her program on, on XM radio. She made herself accessible to me. Sarah Isger, a brilliant legal mind from the conservative legal movement on the dispatch. Uh, she's one of the staff writers and, and voices of their podcasts, you know, knows me from no one. Like I'm a nobody in that world. Anna Palmer was with Politico for a long time, started the Punchball punch ball News. You know, nobody in that. They, like those, these folk, Dan Darling of Nat, well, formerly of National Religious Broadcasters. Like so many different people have made themselves accessible to me. And the conversations that we got coming up, it just amazes me. I, they got no business talking to the likes of me. Like I'm a nobody, man. So it's been so encouraging, again, that people of high profiles and some regular folks like me have been willing to have these conversations. Just the, the fact that folks have made themselves available for an hour, hour and a half, you know, guys like you that are like way cooler than me, oh. <laughs> you know, like we got no, like, like you have so many better things to do, but you know what? Maybe not because like, we're just two folks from, you know, uh, of different ages and some different beliefs and different families. And, and yet here we are having a pretty, a couple of conversations. I, I just think that's so cool, man. So, um, 
Yeah. I, I don't know if that directly answers your question, but that's what came to mind. So. Yeah, no, you're good. Yeah. And I guess this is kind of, I'm just kind of curious, you know, what is, I guess your post-production of each episode like? Oh, man. I, I'm just curious. Yeah. So, okay. So I get, one of the coolest things I've, I've learned in a practical sense is I've, I've learned how to edit, not, not video yet, but sound. And, but I get really granular sometimes. Like I let like the bulk of the conversation flow, but I take a lot of time to eliminate. I, I want to respect the listener's time. Mm. So I have a tendency and my dad definitely has a tendency to sometimes stutter sometimes pause way too long thinking that we're pausing for effect, but it's really just, you know, kind of indulgent or yeah. way too many ums or eyes or, you know, mm. you knows. So I like to just like I did. So I like to take those out, uh, not to lose the flow of the conversation, but again, just to respect my, the, the folks who have bothered to listen, to respect their time. So that's my, a lot of my post-production process is really getting in there with a fine tooth comb some folks might say, just leave it all in there. It's all good. You're only taking out two minutes after everything's said and done. Or actually it's often more than that. Oftentimes. Oh, oh yeah. I'll, oh, yeah. I'll just for a one hour conversation. It's amazing how much we can shave it down to 45 minutes or an hour and a half. We can shave it down to one Oh five. Like, yeah, no, I, I know that. Yeah. So, so I like, that. but I just discovered this new thing. I just discovered this software program called Descript. Are you mm. familiar with it? I'm not. It's basically, it, it, it translates the conversation and you can see it as a script. Mm. It also translates it into a timeline, like a regular sound timeline. So you can go through and it has one function that I was playing with last week that identifies what they call filler words. Mm. Um, uh, you know, stuff like that. And you can either just hit one button and it takes them all out. But I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to identify specific ones, what I call isolated ums, you know, because a lot of times people will start, they'll go, uh, you know, or like they'll, they'll kind of, it'll all be one word and it's just a way to kind of groove into the word. Mm -hmm. So those are a little bit more organic, but when I go, um, that's an isolated, um, mm -hmm. you can take all that stuff out. So Descript does that for you. It's going to save me literally about 10 hours a week. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. spend a lot of time editing, man. It's crazy. So that's my post-production process, you know, and, and some of the other hard parts for me, writing the intros and the titles, I'm trying to like have a marketing hat so that like, <laughs> I think all these conversations are fascinating, but like, how do I communicate that to people out in the world? You know, like, uh, yeah, I get that too. Yeah. <laughs> so that takes some time too. That's usually my Monday mornings are spent figuring out how to do the show notes and make sure that it's only 512 characters total for Apple, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. So yeah. anyway, yeah. So that's, uh, that's my post-production. I'm sure there's other stuff I'm forgetting about, but that's basically it. Okay. So yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. So before we go, you got to tell us how we can find more info about you, the moderate review, all that mm. great work you're doing. Uh, so I am active on Facebook, you know, Jack Taggart. Uh, it's less spelled T-A-G-G-A-R-T. It's not E-R, it's A-R-T. A-R-T, yeah. I'm also on LinkedIn, which I can also send you the link to that, you know, my LinkedIn profile. And the moderate review, actually, uh, I actually have a Twitter page. It's uh, The handle is at T-Mod-Rev. So just the number, uh, 
got the letter T, mod, rev, one word, no spaces, no underscores. Yeah. So yeah. And of course you can find my podcast on uh, really anywhere, Apple, Spotify, Google podcasts. And yeah. Yeah. And it's the moderate review. It's fun stuff. Really good stuff too. I think it's very productive and very much fills a, a need in our culture. We, we could use more of it. So keep, keep doing what you're doing, Jack. Thank you. So I, uh, I really appreciate you coming in, man. I appreciate getting to hang out with you again and uh, getting to know you better. I'm also grateful for you sharing some information about uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church, because uh, now I'm learning, learning more and uh, understanding some, I have some of my friends are go to the Mormon church and are, are part of the Mormon church, I should say, and uh, just grateful to understand my friends better. So yeah, but most of all, I'm grateful to uh, to hang out with you and for you spending the time, spending your Friday afternoon with me. So oh, thank you for having me. So. Yeah, you bet. You bet. And as always, if you like the show, please hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review and comments wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, tell a friend about us. Now go talk some politics and religion with gentleness and respect and have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. If you appreciate what you heard here, please go to iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and leave a review. That really helps move us up the chart so others can find out what we're up to here. For Ronnie Nathan, I'm Corey Nathan, and we've been talking politics and religion without killing each other. We'll be back in a few days to do our little part in Tikkun Olam.